You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 60. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope you're having a great week. Some years back, an herbalist friend of mine taught me that you should be able to eat your skincare products. At first, I was very confused by her statement, but with time realized that putting clean, natural ingredients on your skin is a very smart recommendation. In today's episode, my guest, Mindy Green, will share her holistic approach to aromatherapy and holistic skincare. Mindy is a true pioneer in her field. She started her journey in 1970s. Mindy worked as a clinical aromatherapist, a regulatory consultant, and contributed to research and development of a national company, Aveda. She's a true national authority on botanicals, nutrition, essential oils, and holistic skincare. Her wellness industry expertise is complemented by her active, long-standing licensure as an esthetician, herbalist, and aromatherapy. A prolific writer and lecturer, Mindy has authored over 65 published articles. She is a co-author of Aromatherapy, A Complete Guide to Healing Art, one of the first aromatherapy books I ever read and an author of Calendula and Natural Perfumes. She also has contributed to numerous books on herbs and healing, including two academic texts edited by Andrew Weil. Mindy believes plants in all their forms create healing globally and individually. Whether you are just starting to explore aromatherapy and holistic skincare, or have been using them for years, this episode is perfect for you. As always, you can find links and additional information in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 60. Enjoy. Mindy, hello. How are you doing? Hello, Lana. I am doing very well, and thank you for having me as a guest. I am absolutely thrilled. Um, I remember the first time I attended a lecture of yours. I, I think it was uh, the International Herb Symposium, and then later through the American Herbalist Guild and all various places. The topics and the teaching that you have always fascinate me so much. Uh, before we begin, I wanted to ask you a little bit of how you uh, got started, how you became interested in the world of natural healing, and especially the areas that you spend a lot of energy and effort in like aromatherapy and skincare. How did your journey begin? Oh, I'm not sure how far back to go. I, I, um, I always had an interest in unusual things. Um, when I was young, I used to spend my allowance on vitamins <laughs> okay. because it, it just fascinated me. And then I got into you know, a healthier diet, and I was reading about herbs. I was still in my teens. And then in my early 20s, 
I um, I lived in Sonoma County, and okay. Rosemary Gladstar and I worked at the same store. Mm-hmm. And so she started teaching herb classes, and and I was always interested. And so it sort of sort of started there. So I would say from from uh, diet, interest, nutrition, and herbs, and then um, I did some massage, and I got my esthetician's license, and. So it just kind of grew out. I've done a lot of different things around the same, you know, the natural products industry. Okay. And so do you remember a particular situation where you kind of knew that this is something that I really want to do with my life? You know, I'm not sure that it was that clear to me. I knew that I had an interest and I liked the way it made me feel just being around the plants. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I really considered uh, plants not only my interest in, in health and nutrition, but also they were pretty much my spiritual path. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of worked out. I mean, all of us who knew each other in those early days, uh, late 60s, early 70s, and later 70s, uh, you know, we were just excited to find each other because we thought we were the only ones with this weird kind of interest. And there wasn't, uh, like, there was no livelihood. There was no, like, kind of job that you could get Mm -hmm. unless you kind of created your own. And so that's, I think, pretty much what most of us did is kind of create our own path in, in that industry in various different ways. So... And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that is so fabulous because right now we are we are soon going to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the American Herbalist Guild, and you were one of the founding yeah. members. So yeah. it, it's it's always great to see the pictures of all of the young founding members and to, 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 see, <laughs> to see and hear what you guys have done and have accomplished. So um, you wear many hats today. You're a writer. You're an educator. You're a speaker. You consult for industry, where do you spend most of your time these days? And how did your career has evolved since those days when you began? Wow. Um, I think that I still kind of do a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. Every day I'm in my office for a little while reading or writing or taking an online class or giving an online class Mm -hmm. uh, or speaking to a client. Um. I really love using herbs in the kitchen. I'm I, I have always been interested in cooking. I had a vegan restaurant when I was in my twenties in the seventies and so you know, I just I think I still kind of do the same stuff. Okay. Just maybe a little bit differently, a little bit less. Okay. You know, I'm trying to trying to wind down <laughs> in my older years. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. When I uh, met you, you were known in this community as someone who is very knowledgeable about aromatherapy and essential oils. What attracted you to specialize in this area of, uh, I guess, botanical medicine or herbal medicine? You know, that's really interesting because I, I do kind of get pigeonholed like that. When I, when I go to herbal conferences, they always ask me to talk about essential oils, but I really do consider myself an herbalist mm-hmm. first. And I think that aromatherapy is a concentrated version of herbalism. It it is one of the botanical arts. Mm -hmm. Of course, essential oils are from plants. And so it is part of that whole phytotherapy protocol. And so I love teaching herbalists about essential oils, and I love teaching aromatherapists about herbs. Mm -hmm. 
And I, I think the, the two paths have finally met uh, in this decade, and it's really nice to see a lot more aromatherapy people getting interested in combining herbal therapies with their essential oils. I don't know if I answered your question all the way. But. You, you have answered the question, but and it is also very interesting. So um, during the fall semester, I teach a class to pharmacy students on complementary and alternative um, modalities. And we just had one of our last classes was uh, a three-hour journey into the world of aromatherapy. And it is very interesting for me to see how different the training is for a person that uh, studies, even though... A of course, these are the same molecules that uh, live in the whole plant. You mentioned that aromatherapists now are becoming more comfortable with herbal medicine. Do you feel that that was not the case before? That was not my experience. Okay. No. And um, I would say like in the early 80s, I came back to, I was had been living in British Columbia, and I came back to... Uh, the Bay Area, where mm-hmm. I was originally from, and there were some new teachers in aromatherapy. There wasn't a lot of information about essential oils in that early in that mm-hmm. early time in the mm-hmm. '70s. There were just a few books, and so we had some speakers that came from Europe that I learned from, and um, I think that. You know, people who have a basis of information, you know, beginning in phytotherapy, uh, whether you're starting with herbs or essential oils, they, they do cross over in a lot of different ways. But my, my observation of aromatherapists in those early days is that they got interested in essential oils because they found these small bottles with these little liquids in them and they smelled really nice and they did amazing things and they didn't really have a deep connection to the plant. Nowadays, I think they are getting a little more interested in the fact that uh, the plants themselves can do amazing things and combined together, they can potentiate each other, they can support each other. Um, and they make great companions. So in other words, if you had an essential oil, you wanted to do a blend. If you started instead of just a plain almond oil, Mm -hmm. if you had Mm -hmm. almond oil that was infused in lavender or chamomile or calendula or something like that, just to combine some herbal therapies into the most simple massage oil blend, Mm -hmm. you know, just Mm -hmm. some, you know, just as something as simple as that. Very interesting. Um, so something that you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago that herbal medicine, as uh, the way I process it and understand it, it always feels a little bit safer to me just because it's not the concentrated oils. Can you talk to us a little bit about the difference between botanicals or herb, let's say mint or, you know, pick, yes, pick a plant yes. that you like and the uh, essential oil that comes from the same mm-hmm. plant? Yeah, well, you're almost reading my mind there because I wanted to definitely uh, make a point about this, and that is that I I always go back to herbalism. To me, herbalism is the basis of what I use in my personal life, Mm -hmm. and then if I need something with a little more boost, then I'll go to an essential oil, but... um, I I think that a lot of people use essential oils in a way that is a little heroic, if you will, a little too much, a little too often. Um, They can be perfectly safe, used in small quantities, 
you know, once a day or something, but a lot of people are like overdoing it, especially with the oral use. So to me, the basis of a, a good diet and a good uh, herbal protocol is just to use a little bit of herbs every day in your diet. Mm-hmm. I always say that the more you use herbs as foods, the less you need them as medicines. And um, right before you called, I was making some um, vegan eggnog with cashew milk, and and I was finding that the nutmeg, mm-hmm. I couldn't get enough nutmeg flavor in there, so I have a little, I have put one drop of nutmeg essential mm-hmm. oil in this quart of, you know, but that's just the little flavor boost, you know? Yes. And yes. so using essential oils prophylactically every day is not that good an idea, especially orally. Mm-hmm. Using herbs every day prophylactically is a great idea. Drinking thyme tea or even oregano tea or rosemary tea or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever kind of herbal tea, but herbal teas every day instead of taking a drop of oregano oil, which a lot of people do, and sometimes more than a drop on a daily basis as a prophylactic measure. And it's really not that good. It's better to, to use the herbs that these essential oils were you know, originally derived from. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's my personal philosophy. And I try to encourage people to include herbs in that manner on a daily basis. And, you know, as an esthetician, I use essential oils on my, in my skincare products every mm-hmm. day, but they're minute amounts. So, and I, and I love body oils and body lotions with a little essential oil. And I think that's fine. Um, you know, just not overdoing too much. That's great. Thank you. So you you talked a little bit about putting the oils in different topical uh, preparations. Um, I know that uh, typically uh, aromatherapy is used via inhalation. You have mentioned a couple of times the concept of uh, oral use, that you're not super comfortable about this. Can you talk to us a little bit more? If someone who is listening to this uh, Mm -hmm. is just starting with essential oils, where would you start in terms of different preparations? Okay, that's a great question. So I always say learn a few oils well. Mm -hmm. Just pick five. You can make a whole first aid kit out of five Mm -hmm. essential oils and use them in different ways. Um, you can try them in the bath. It's always a good idea to add them to some carrier oil, no matter how you're using them. Okay. Um, don't use them undiluted on the skin, mm-hmm. but use them in different ways. Um, you can do it in a little body lotion. You can add a little bit to a shampoo. You could add some to a bath oil and put that in the tub. Um, you know, just different ways mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. would normally use your uh, cosmetics. Okay. And um, as I mentioned, you could you could include herbal preparations with that, or just alone. Either way, but just small amounts, mm-hmm. and um, just use a few drops and know uh, a lot about a few essential oils and build on that. And that's the way we learned herbs in the early days as well. We would take one herb, and for a week, we would use it in all different kinds of ways. If it was appropriate to cook with it, or um, to make a an an herbal whatever hair hair product or eye wash or mm-hmm. bath blend or whatever. That's great, thank you. So there are two things that I wanted uh, to follow up on what you were mentioning. So one of them was um, that perhaps you can use five different oils to start with. Can you share with us five of your favorites? What would you recommend someone to have on hand or to begin with? 
Well, there are so many good oils, but of course, lavender would mm-hmm. be first. <laughs> the aromatherapy motto is mm-hmm. when in doubt, use lavender. Right. It has a, a wide range of applications, and it's very, very safe, and it smells nice. So lavender, uh, one of the citruses. I like orange because it doesn't have the photosensitizing quality okay. that the other essential oils have, um, especially if it's cold-pressed. Okay. And we can expound on that if you want later. Sure. Um, and I would say probably a eucalyptus or a fir, something for the respiratory system. And if you're using this with little kids, maybe uh, a substitute would be frankincense. Sometimes the eucalyptus is a little strong, depending on which variety you get. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do like the frankincense. It's one of my favorite go-tos because the other thing about it is it's extremely safe. So uh, that would be another one of my choices. Let's see. And after that, boy, you could just go in a lot of different directions. Um, Maybe rosemary, Mm -hmm. if you want something in your protocol, in your little Materia Medica there, that uplifts and is stimulating. So rosemary is my favorite for that. Okay, that's great. And and then, I mean, depending on what your situation is, if you have children in the home, uh, then I would maybe choose the Roman chamomile. Is that five? Probably a little bit. Probably a little bit more than that. So, can you talk just? uh, You you mentioned uh, frankincense. What do you typically Mm -hmm. use frankincense for? Oh, it's just one of my favorite things to. First of all, just slow down. Mm -hmm. And we live in such a busy world, and we have busy lives, and you know, just for our nervous system. So whether you're using it in the bath or you're using it, it's, it's wonderful in skincare preparations for mature sun-damaged skin. Um, it's great in the bath for slowing down right before bed. It's a great one to put in your diffuser. It's wonderful to use during your meditations. Uh, it is antibacterial. It has a lot of therapeutic value. So, and, and it's very safe. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like it in a diffuser. It's great for children, even for little ones. There are not that many essential oils that are safe uh, for young, young kids. But diffuser is the best way to use it. And lavender, orange, frankincense, chamomile, those would be the great um, essential oil either blends or singles for a child. And so when you're saying child, we're talking about toddlers? We're talking about, we're not talking about infants, I'm assuming. Well, you know, it's a it's a fine line. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did study with a medical doc from France, and they have used frankincense as a diffusion mm-hmm. for respiratory distress in an infant, but you do have to be careful. Okay. Most books and companies that sell essential oils say don't use them on kids unless they're over two, and mm-hmm. then then there's a you know a rather limited palette of the materia medica that you could use. But the four that I mentioned um, are all very safe: orange, chamomile, lavender, and frankincense. Those are super safe for kids. You want to dilute that uh, into a more diluted. Uh, combination than you would if you were using it on an adult. So one half to one percent. So that would be somewhere between two and five drops of essential oil of a blend or a single note in one ounce of a carrier oil for a child. Okay, that's great. So you mentioned the word carrier 
oil. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I suspect that a lot of our listeners might not know what it is. Can you can you clarify or can you yeah, tell us a little you. bit more thank about you. that? Yeah, a carrier oil is a fatty oil that you dilute the essential oil into. So that could be almost any oil you have in your kitchen cupboard. But if you want to get really picky, and I like to be kind of picky about <laughs> what I'm putting on my, my skin, um, choose something that's organic okay. and uh, ideally cold-pressed. Um, but you could use almond or hazelnut or olive oil or coconut. Coconut oils very easy to get, mm -hmm. virgin organic coconut oil. Um, and you want to dilute that, the essential oils. Mm -hmm. so I mentioned the one up to 1% is five drops. And a 2%, which is pretty much a standard dilution for most healthy adults, mm -hmm. is 10 drops of essential oil to one ounce of carrier. I'm very much generalizing. If you get in 12 drops, don't freak out. It's okay. not that much big of a deal. And some people use higher amounts, 3%. But frankly, my opinion is that using them homeopathically mm -hmm. is just as effective. It's uh, more economical. I think we show a greater reverence for the sustainability issues around mm -hmm. gathering plants. And and more is not better when it comes to essential oils. So around a 2% is, is plenty for an external dilution, whether it's in a carrier oil or an unscented uh, lotion. Okay, it's great. another option if you don't want to feel greasy. Thank you. And I think it's a great message that sometimes people do think that more is better. And it, it's, yeah. a, it's a really good reminder. So mm -hmm. a couple of times you mentioned the concept of cold pressed. Um, so mm. can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Well, I'm talking about actual manual pressing of the carrier oils. And there is only one essential oil that's I guess you could call it cold-pressed um, in the aromatherapy world, and that would be the citrus peels. Mm -hmm. All the essential oils are found in the peel of the fruit of the citruses, mm. but it's, the citrus oils can also be distilled, and when they are distilled, you have less of the offending agent that causes photosensitization. So in other words, if you were to put an essential oil, even at a 2% dilution, on your skin and go out into the sun or, heaven forbid, lie on a tanning bed, I'm not a big fan, mm -hmm. um, then the citrus oils like lemon or grapefruit or lime or especially bergamot, bitter orange, um, there are others that can cause photosensitization, so it can cause uneven pigmentation or actual burning of the skin. And so I mentioned orange earlier, mm -hmm. orange, tangerine, and mandarin. All three of those, even if they are cold-pressed, don't have enough of the offending furanocoumarins to be a problem, um, of course, if it's reasonably diluted. That's that's great to know. That's great to know. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So you you mentioned orange uh, in your five favorites, and uh, mm. or citruses are absolutely uh, some of my favorites. Can you talk about like why would someone want to have all these citruses mm. around them? Yeah. Well, let me first clarify. When sure. I talk about the orange oil, I mean the sweet orange. Mm -hmm. um, not the bitter orange, and right. that is the peel of where we get the neroli. Right. So um, we don't want to use that one. So sweet orange or lemon or lime or grapefruit, they're all just such beautiful scents. They're pretty much universally uh, perceived as pleasant fragrances. Mm -hmm. 
they have a very uplifting quality to them for the uplifting to the mood and yet relaxing for the body. Mm-hmm. And the only thing you have to be careful of is that they can be a little irritating to the skin, especially in the bath. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're using orange oil with your little ones, the orange should be in a very low proportion to the other oils or just leave it out of the bath. And it's also a very good tonic for the skin. It's a very good... Um, uh, detoxifier for the skin, mm-hmm. and um, if you want to relate to the herb world of the doctrine of signatures, we know that cellulite on the back of our thighs is known as orange peel skin, mm-hmm. and um, in fact, the citrus oils do help to move lymph and uh, break up fat in the body. So. That is one of the signatures of the citrus oils. They're often used in skin care formulas because they are so cleansing and detoxifying, but you do have to be careful of not having them in too high a proportion. Um, They can be a little bit irritating more in the bath than in a carrier oil as a massage, though. That's that's great to to hear. Thank you. So uh, let me bring you uh, for one second back to the idea of a bath. So uh, you mentioned that you would take a carrier oil. How would you actually put the oils into bath to avoid getting burned or getting irritation on the skin yeah. or something like that? Yeah, great question. Thank you for that opportunity to clarify that. I uh, use somewhere between five and eight drops of an essential oil or an essential oil blend mm-hmm. in about two teaspoons of carrier oil, okay. and then when the tub is full, you add that and swish it around with your, with your foot before you mm-hmm. dip your body in, and um, that way you're not sitting on little droplets mm-hmm. of essential oils that don't dissolve well and can really irritate the skin, and so you want that little buffer of the carrier oil in there, especially with kids. Um, So let's say you're doing a a bath for your little ones and you're using a blend uh, of uh, two drops of lavender and one drop of Roman chamomile and you put that into a teaspoon of carrier oil Mm -hmm. and um, stir that around before the kids get in. You want to be careful. I mean, the kids, after two, they're usually pretty good, but, you know, kids are putting their fists in their mouth, they're rubbing their eyes, and so you don't want that to be uh, undiluted. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. do be cautious of that with the little ones. Thank you. And I think that this is such an important reminder because we think that, oh, the bath will smell fabulous, but we, we uh, usually forget that oil and water do not like to mix. So, so thank you. Well, yes. yes. And essential oils are hydrophobic. They mm-hmm. don't mix, mix in water. And so they are what's called lipophilic, lo- fat-loving. So mm-hmm. they do dissolve in a carrier oil. If you put them in a water for, let's say, a room mist or a body spray, they're just going to sit on the top of mm-hmm. the water. So you need to make sure you're shaking that every time before you use it. And um, I also should probably mention that a lot of times people put their essential oils into just a little capful of shampoo and think that that's going to disperse it, it doesn't really do the job of becoming Mm -hmm. non-irritant. And so a carrier oil, even if you're using some soap, a carrier oil still would be helpful. The other thing I sometimes do, Mm -hmm. this is just my, my little favorite thing that I do for myself, is I do a good skin brushing and then I cover my body in an essential oil massage oil mm-hmm. before I get into the water. 
And then it's not floating around. It's all in my body, and it just totally soaks in with the heat of the warm water. So that's that, another little tip that no one ever talks about. That is a great idea. That is absolutely yeah. a great idea. Thank you. So when when you look at essential oils, how, what are some of your favorite resources for someone to experiment with them, to maybe read and learn a little bit more about mm -hmm. them, or maybe purchase them, or learn more in general? Yeah, well... You know, ideally, if you had a class that you could take in your area, mm -hmm. that would be great. I know a lot of people don't have access to that. Books, of course, are always wonderful mm -hmm. to start learning. And there are so many good aromatherapy books on the, on the market now. Uh, there are online classes as well. Mm -hmm. So those all would be wonderful ways to begin. And then also, there are a couple of nonprofit organizations for aromatherapy enthusiasts in America. One is the National Association of Holistic Aromatherapists, mm -hmm. and their website is naha.org. And the other is the Alliance of International Aromatherapists. And that's the AIA, I think it's a dash, aromatherapy, something like that. But you could just I, Google the name. I will do that. And I will yeah. uh, certainly include both of them in the show notes. Yeah. And they have a lot of resources. They have recommended books. They have um, a newsletter if you want to join. They have a, like a monthly magazine. And in the magazine, there's a lot of great people uh, and companies that are advertising in there. Um, there's always a good uh, resource list at the back of most books. Mm -hmm. I'll just do a little plug for the book that I wrote some, some years ago with my um, good friend and fellow herbalist, Kathy Keeville. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's called Aromatherapy, A Complete Guide to the Healing Art. And there is a picture of it on my website, but I don't sell anything on my website, so please don't write to me for my price list because I don't sell anything. But the book's available at, at Amazon, as are all the, all the books that you'd yes. ever want. Um, so, you know, that's probably where I would start is a good aromatherapy book. And then also at the back of most books are resources for where to buy essential oils. And there, I think that the nonprofit companies have some of those also in their resource lists. Okay. Um, yeah, you, so... Do you have any tips on how to think about purchasing oils? Like, um, is this a, a well-regulated, well-established industry in terms of um, actually the manufacturing of the oils themselves? Or does someone who is listening to us right now need to have some ideas of what they're looking for? Well, unfortunately, it's a very unregulated industry in terms of... Um, parameters for quality of essential oils. Mm -hmm. And so it is a little bit of a buyer beware market. But if you uh, get to know your supplier, I'm a big fan of calling the supplier. If you're thinking about buying essential oils from a specific company, mm -hmm. I would definitely call their 800 number or look at their website and and just look at how much they, they know personally. Because a lot of companies are just kind of in it for, uh, it's a commodity and they don't know that much about it. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be buying from, most most of the suppliers that I buy from are aromatherapists themselves. Okay. And so they know what to be looking for. The first thing that consumers need to be looking for on a label is a Latin name, okay. just to make sure it's from a plant. 
It, mm-hmm. There's, again, no guarantee that it's not been adulterated, but, you know, you do the best you can. You start with a Latin name. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there are specific instances where you might want a different species, so the Latin name is important to know. For the beginners, that's maybe a little overwhelming at this stage, but you want to make sure it's from a plant. And then, again, I'm, I'm a big fan, whether I was a consumer or had my own essential oil line many, many years ago. I loved it when people called the company, and I was more than happy to give them time. And that's the way I feel as a consumer. If they can't answer my questions, my, somebody else gets my, gets my money. <laughs> Yes, that's that's great. One thing that surprised me when I started learning about uh, different oils and different plants that they come from is uh, something as simple as lavender. There are several mm-hmm. different species. So when you're mm-hmm. talking about lavender, there is angustifolia, but there are other ones. So whether it's spike lavender or different lavenders that grow in different uh, countries. So I think it is so important to know that Latin name. And most people are kind of a little bit scared of this. Yeah, it can be very intimidating to start with. You're absolutely right. So having a good resource, whether it's a book or a friend or a podcast like yours, um, just to educate yourself as a consumer more and to learn where your needs lie and which specific essential oils will fill that need. And you're right about the lavenders. Most of them are lavendins, mm-hmm. and there are numerous species, not species, but varieties of lavendins. And the lavendin is a, a cross. It's a hybrid between lavendula angustifolia and lavendula spica, mm-hmm. and um, it's more prevalent on the market, and it's less expensive. It has a higher yield of essential oil because the plant has multiple flower stalks instead of a single flower stalk. Um, it, it just depends on what you're using it for. If you're really using it to relax and slow down and as for its anti-inflammatory effects, then I would go for the true lavender, lavendula angustifolia, also sometimes known as officinalis, and sometimes it's known as lavendula vera. It's, it's a little confusing. Um, and the lavendins, they're not always clear on the labeling, and so it's, it's a little difficult to suss that out, but... Um, you know, smell them all and you can always just go by intuition what you like the aroma of. That's great. Thank you. I mentioned that you wear a lot of different hats and you talked about the fact that you are an esthetician. And so um, I wanted to ask to talk a little bit more about this. Was this in any way connected to your love of essential oils or love of uh, plants and how this uh, evolved for you? Uh, Yes and yes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, for many years, I I lived at the California School of Herbal Studies. I was one of the one of the instructors and one of the co co um, faculty um, owners. Mm -hmm. And I had been teaching classes on herbal cosmetics for a really long time. And I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be nice to be able to know what they know, and to be able to teach about more botanical therapies in that world. And so I did. I went back to school, and I I got my esthetician's license, and I kind of quickly learned that not too many estheticians cared. This was, I mean, we're talking about the 80s. Mm -hmm. So I I was a little... um, I was a little disappointed, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it served me later because I got a great job as the as uh, the clinical aromatherapist for Aveda for many mm-hmm. many years, mm-hmm. and I did get to teach other 
estheticians about the value of essential oils in skincare. Mm-hmm. And so it did serve me very well. And I love writing about skincare too and just talking about it. I, I mean, I just have a, a personal interest as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it did serve me in the end. That's that's wonderful. Can you talk to us a little bit about the holistic skincare and how you view it? And so what are some of the simple but maybe important strategies that you can recommend to someone mm-hmm. who's listening to this yeah, podcast? Yeah, thank you, Lana. That's a good question. I think it's really not that much different than kind of considering a holistic lifestyle. I think it's part of a holistic lifestyle. I don't think you can separate out your skin and just put some essential oils on your skin and then continue to eat poorly and um, not get enough rest and overstress your body and all of those things. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just part of the whole the entire holistic perspective of of caring for your body. Mm-hmm. And so I think the main difference is that you think about what you can be doing internally for your skin as well as externally because good health starts from the inside out. And um, so not only are you putting more natural things externally on your skin, but you're thinking about the kinds of things that your skin does best with um, as food, And so, you know, even if you're making masks out of food and putting, applying it externally, mm-hmm. um, I, I would also hope that some are, maybe some of those things are the same things you would be putting inside your body, such as avocados and, mm-hmm. you know, good fruits and vegetables and, you know, all the things that we all know. I mean, there's, you can't live in the world today and not know that, that, <laughs> You know, we all know how, how we should be eating. It's of sometimes a matter of discipline and access sometimes. That, that's great. Thank you. Two questions that I have. So one of them, you mentioned uh, different masks that uh, we could mm. be putting on our face. And it uh, got me thinking about uh, one of the um, advice that I got long time ago, that things that you put uh, on your body should be the same things that you can put in your mouth, uh, meaning that uh, your skincare, your creams and different things that you're making, perhaps they're not going to be tasty enough, but they should be safe enough for you to consume. Do you agree with this? I agree with that, um, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I would put my vitamin A serum or mm-hmm. my, my vitamin C serum in my smoothie. But okay. yes, I, I get your drift. And yeah, we want the ingredients to be clean enough so that we wouldn't be concerned about them um, being absorbed from the skin into the body. And, and that is what happens when you apply things onto the skin. Many things are absorbed. And so we, we do want to be conscious and cognizant of using clean things, ideally, you know, things that are uh, organically sourced and don't have a lot of chemicals in them. And there's, you know, plenty of websites, the Environmental Working Group and their their site, Skin Deep. There are many resources for finding out more about what you, maybe you want to avoid more than you want to put on. But yes, and just to mention my book again, because I, I know we don't have lots of time, but mm-hmm. there is a very large chapter in my book on skincare for mm-hmm. all different skin types with different hydrosols to use for different skin types, which essential oils are best, which herbs are best if you're steaming your skin or making facial scrubs, and what masks would be good for those skin types. So uh, that's that's a, a pretty long resource there. I was 
really intentional about making that chapter thorough. Absolutely. Or just because of my own personal interest. That, that, that is wonderful. Thank you. Also, uh, the next question that I have for you is, it sounds like you're using a lot of things that you perhaps are purchasing or using just in your everyday life. But are there, for someone who uh, perhaps is a little bit, um, uh, whether uh, a little busier or someone who is not as interested in making their own masks and creams and things of that type. Other mm-hmm, sure. other companies or other resources that you feel comfortable um, recommending? Oh yeah, there there are lots of really clean skincare lines out there now. Um, I really like Evan Healy. Mm-hmm. She does a wonderful job of doing very clean. Um, botanically based skincare products. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the cleaner lines, even um, among all the variety of clean skincare out there. Um, that's one. I use one that's local to my area that's made here in Colorado because we have very specific climates that are, wreak havoc on our mm-hmm. skin. So, you know, it also depends on where you live and what's your skin type and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I think, of course, the anthroposophic lines such mm-hmm. as Hauschka and Jirlik, mm-hmm. those are two clean lines as well that are fairly widely available. Um, and, you know, it really just depends on, I, I know for me, if um, a, a skincare product is too rich, I break out, you know, everybody's skin is different. Mm-hmm. And so you really just kind of have to go, if you're, if you're at a cosmetic counter, even if you're in a, a health food store, sometimes they have samples. And I always really encourage people to ask for samples. Mm-hmm. I, I work at such a place. And um, I'm all about giving people samples. Okay. So it's a, it's a good way to try out the product. Okay. That's, that sounds great. Thank you. So as our interview is coming to an end, I have a few more questions for you. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned your book, and I absolutely will share um, the uh, link to in the show notes. Um, can you talk a little bit about how someone can continue learning more about you and from you, whether your website or social media mm-hmm. or anything along those lines? And, yeah. Yeah. And then my last question for you will be, do you have any parting words of wisdom for our audience? Uh, okay. Well, I do have a, a website, even though I don't sell anything on it. I do have a, a calendar. I think it just says events. And um, I list where I'm speaking. And sometimes there are private things. I, I don't always post everything on there. But if it's a public engagement, for instance, um, this, I think it's June, I'll be speaking at the International Herb Symposium mm-hmm. again. And that's in Boston yes. in June. So you can look at my site or you can look at the website for the International Herb Symposium. Mm-hmm. Um but there is a, a list of my speaking engagements there. And then also there are some articles and some links to previous interviews I've done and things like that. I can't promise. <laughs> it's so hard to keep up with the links. Sometimes they take things off the Internet and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, But uh, that's, that's probably your best bet for, okay. for my resources. Okay. And then any words of advice or any Mm. parting words of wisdom? 
Well, uh, first, Len, I want to thank you so much for having me as a guest. I really enjoyed speaking with you, and I hope your your um, listeners are encouraged to use essential oils um, more wisely, maybe, than they were before. Yes. But use them wisely, dilute them, do a little research on them. It's really pretty easy. I, I recommend looking at PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you have questions about the scientific research that's out there, you can find it on PubMed. Um, please use them sparingly in, and be aware of the sustainability issues. There is a chapter on sustainability in my second edition of the book. Mm-hmm. And use them with reverence. They have a lot of information in those little drops of oil. I mean, aroma is a communication system. And the molecules that are found in essential oils are communicating with our cells. They're providing nutrients and neurochemicals to be released in the body. And um, so basically, as with all plant therapies, just use them with reverence for the wisdom that they provide. What a beautiful message. Thank you so much, Mindy. Thank you. I am so delighted. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Mindy Green. You can find all the links mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 60. You can also find in the show notes a quick download with Mindy's five favorite essential oils. Please subscribe to the show to get the future episodes automatically downloaded on your device. When you have a moment, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could share some love by leaving a rating or review about the show wherever you download your podcasts. This is the best way to help others to learn about the Wellness Insider Network and to bring wonderful guests like Mindy to join us here. This episode is proudly brought to you by Herb Mentor. Herb Mentor is a service provided by an innovative herbal education company, learningherbs.com. Some people use Herb Mentor as a personal herbal home study program, while others explore a variety of features it has to offer or utilize it along other herbal programs or studies. At the same time, there are many people that utilize this forum to connect with other individuals curious about plants and plant medicine. Head over to the show notes and check out Herb Mentor link and begin or continue your journey in the world of plant medicine. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you. Mm-hmm.